And sometimes this is the difficult part is we don't get to focus it on what happened in the past and do not believe that because it happened in the past, this will happen in the future. But of course, take the lessons learned and, and hope for, for a great future, a great future, a great future. Hey there, Jeff Barnes here again with another episode of Angels, Exits, and Acquisitions. And today we're interviewing Mike Diaz from Portugal. He runs a company called Scale Up Valley. And we talked a lot about scaling up companies for an IPO, for an acquisition, what it takes, what the CEOs need to be thinking about, what they need to be doing, what the executive leadership team needs to be doing, uh, depending on the stage of business. And it's really important because he and I have kind of a, a similar upbringing and background that I think plays a lot into our thought processes and what we believe when it comes to looking at a great opportunity or a great leadership team and a great CEO. So tune in, looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this episode of Angels, Exits, and Acquisitions. Welcome to Angels, Exits, and Acquisitions, the place to learn how to fund, scale, exit, and massively profit as an angel investor or entrepreneur. Brought to you by the Angel Investors Network. And now, here's your host, Jeff Barnes. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Angels, Exits, and Acquisitions. I am your host, Jeff Barnes, and we are joined today with Mike Diaz from Portugal. Mike, how are you doing today? Very well, Jeff, and congrats for your podcast and for your career, and thanks for making the time to, to hosting me today. Wonderful. I appreciate having you here. So, Mike, uh, we're going to dive into your story and what it is you do with helping companies scale and, and achieve those exits and those, those really big uh, multiples of valuation and whatnot. But I was noticing your, your background there. And of course, you got Warren Buffett on one hand and you got Robert Kiyosaki on the other <laughs> side. And I got to say, those two gentlemen were instrumental in um, my development into the entrepreneurial world. I got a chance to meet and hang out with Robert Kiyosaki a few years back and smoke a cigar and have a scotch with him. Um, haven't met Warren Buffett yet. Now, I'm not, not sure that I'll be able to get that one, check that one off. But uh, Snowball is quite the interesting <laughs> book, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Great. One. All right. So you know, tell, tell everybody a little bit about who Mike Diaz is and, and where did you get your start and how did you end up, you know, bring us up to kind of current day. How did you get to yeah. scale up Valley and doing what it is you do? And then we'll talk a little bit about that. Sure. With, with pleasure, Jeff. So starting from the beginning, uh, all my passion started in, in a shoes manufacturing company of my of my parents. So very young, I was always there when I was outside of school, I was going to the factory and seeing all the employees of, of the factory and imagining that one day I would be succeeding. My father, that was already the third generation in the business, unfortunately it didn't happen, but it stayed my passion to, to help CEOs and to become myself a, a CEO and, and lead companies uh, since then. And uh, it also helped me a lot because uh, it was a, a very tough situation as a family because it was a bankruptcy that we went through. So a low margins industries, when when the Asian markets opened, it, it was impossible to compete based on price. We needed to change the business model, go much more on the quality, on the design, on building brands instead of just manufacturing and, and competing on time. Because at that time, labor costs in Asia was were much uh, lower than than in Europe, where where the company was based. I'm originally from Portugal. I've been working mainly in North America and Northern Europe. Uh, also experienced in Latin and Southeast Asia, uh, but that's where 
it all started after that. I started working in the branding agency where I did a bit of everything. I was kind of the second in command of, of the company, did a bit of finance, a bit of project management, brand consulting, strategy consulting, uh, you know, talking with the CEO all the time about what we needed to do to scale the company. And uh, after some time, the, the CEO decided to invite me to become the CEO of the company because he wanted to dedicate himself to academia. And I've been there leading the company. We exited it to our largest customer at the time. And since then, I, I decided that I wanted to dedicate myself full time to advise or to coach CEOs and leadership teams to scale their companies. So, and that's when I founded Scale Up Valley 10, now 11 years ago, 2013, uh, just changed <laughs> the year, still have the, the 10 years, but now it's mm -hmm. 11, uh, 11 years. And, uh, yeah, since then it was all about, you know, I, I identified a niche where that was really new at the time, which was the, not, not new, I would, I would say it was becoming more and more popular, which was the, the VC bucket niche or venture capital, uh, bucket, uh, niche where we needed to, you know, uh, double, triple revenue every single year and get from zero to $100 million in, in revenue in under a decade or in a decade would be already a, a huge uh, success. I didn't have any, any idea about how difficult it was to do, but it sounds, it sounded fun. And at the same time, I was much more used to work with more traditional industries uh, at the time. And usually we would be meeting week after week, nothing happened. There was no sense of urgency. Companies yeah. were stable. It would much much more lifestyle businesses, and uh, and that's when I say, oh, this is fantastic. We have pressure to grow, so we need to invest. <laughs> there is a, a lot of capital that we need to to raise. That's that's where it it all started, and I was super lucky to be involved in one IPO, uh, one decacorn, and four unicorns. Nowadays, I believe much more. I think that we all learn with this uh, age and era of. VC of, of venture capital. I still believe that venture capital is ideal for a certain uh, kind of companies. I, I don't believe it is ideal for the mass market. It's really for a specific niche of companies. And that's what I've learned. So to, nowadays, I, I love much more the concept of, you know, uh, building uh, legacies, building companies to 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 stay to last for for the long term, and of course also making profitable machines that also create cash flow and and create amazing cultures for the teams who are delivering value to to the customer and and to everyone involved in in the company. So I'm an expert in helping those companies scale, and I coach the CEO and the leadership team in the process. Uh, and nowadays sometimes as well, the board. Awesome. Wonderful. Well, thanks for that background. So I want to go back to like the, the early days, the very beginning. So you and I share a little bit of a, a similar history there. My dad was a small business owner. He actually did hardwood floors and um, at one point had 50 employees and was doing some of the, the biggest and nicest floors in Southern California and Beverly Hills and, you know, some really, really cool places. And as a, as a young kid, I didn't understand at all what my dad did. And, you know, he'd take me to a job and I get to see he would actually put the floors in and make it look really pretty. And so you got to get a sense for that. But I didn't understand anything on the business side. And similar kind of situation, unfortunately, he had a, a partner who embezzled from him and ended up with a drug problem. And this partner stole all the money and kind of ruined the business, bankrupted the business. And so this uh, 
this small company that my my dad had that was taking care of the family was all of a sudden essentially gone, and he had to restart from the ground up. We moved, and it was it was challenging. And I'll tell you, so the thing that I learned and that I went through, and I'm curious what your thought was, was I said. I'm not going to go and be an entrepreneur and be a business owner. I saw how hard this was. I just want a stable job. That's how I ended up joining the military. But I just want something stable. So what was your thought process when you watched your family kind of go through that as well? I think that the fear of loss is quite intense. Uh, I always need to go through it. Uh, and I always need to, you know, heal the trauma and always work on my on my self-confidence and especially when the situation is tough i i see that my body reacts to it and yeah. my mind reacts to it more heavily but over the time i'm 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 learning to to get stronger uh, at it um and uh, yeah i think that there is always this balance um uh, and Maybe some of your, of your listeners identify, others not. Uh, I'm kind of a, a Taurus mindset. So I'm someone who loves structure, who loves stability, who loves control. And at the same time, I have an entrepreneurial uh, mindset who mm -hmm. loves ambition, who loves to go beyond uh, your skills, who loves to challenge myself. So in that sense, who, who loves to go further and, and to build my, my own businesses. Um, so in, in that sense, uh, yeah, that, that was the fear, but I always had this, this dream in my mind that I wanted to, and, and maybe it was kind of, um, and, uh, nowadays I'm much more self-aware about why I'm doing what I'm doing, because I think that we need to do things because we believe it's the best thing for us, not because we want to impress others. Um, and sometimes I think that I wanted to create a successful business to show, uh, to kind of save the image of my, of my parents at the time, because yeah. it, it was really kind of coming from the top, going, uh, to holidays in, in the best places in, in the world, having the best clothes, the, the best cars. Even today, I just posted on, on LinkedIn, uh, my, my, my dad had a, uh, a Saab, a Swedish brand of cars, uh, that I really wanted to to take it. But at the time, the car was broken. Then we entered in the bankruptcy. So then my father didn't have the, the capacity to to stay with a car and, and to buy a, a, a top brand car at the time. And I always had that dream. I was just saying in the post, maybe I just need to find one sub and just just take it and and, and 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 drive it. But but yeah, that's that's the way I there is a lot of healing and a lot of anger, frustration. Uh but but after we go through it, I think that we become also better coaches, better CEOs, better leaders. Uh and uh, and yeah, uh, I think that we are also more aware of the emotions of others and our own emotions. And we are able to deal better with fear, right? Right, absolutely. And and I think if you if somebody hasn't gone through loss like that, right? Whether it's their own personal loss or their family's loss or something like that, and they haven't experienced right. it, then you know I have mixed feelings. Sometimes I think those are the people that have, they've gone through that and they've come out the other side. They're generally better leaders. But on the other hand, in some companies, you want that bold fearless leader that's just going to, you know, shoot for the moon. And that's what a lot of VCs are looking for. It's what a lot of people are looking right. for is that, that fearless leader. But sometimes I think that unbridled enthusiasm that someone that's never experienced this pain and this loss and this, this total failure of having to reset, you know, sometimes that can be 
you know, like a bull in the china shop. You don't really want that person necessarily in charge because, especially if it's with your money, right? That's, that's I think, where the big issue is. It's one thing if you are, you know, the young, hungry entrepreneur, everybody wants that person to succeed. But, you know, I, and I work with a lot of investors. I think sometimes there's that unspoken thing that they can't quite put their finger on it. Like, yeah, I like the person. I like the company. I like the idea. They actually have a really good team, but they won't pull the trigger and do the investment and, and sometimes they can't even say why. They're like, I just don't get a great feeling about it. And sometimes I think that is it, right? This person is so optimistic. They have convinced everyone they're going to succeed come hell or high water. And they feel that way because they've never experienced an actual loss, which again, that's a good thing to have. But it can, in my opinion, sometimes make it very difficult for them to see the potential risks. Do you agree with that? Or what's your thought on and your take on some entrepreneurs that have gone through this or not? I think those are great insights, Jeff. So it's kind of I, the, the sentence that came to my mind when we were sharing your your view was really aim for the best and plan for the worst. Right. right. So uh, and this is the difficult part of being a CEO and being an entrepreneur and leading a company is you need to combine the long term, the mid term, and the short term. It's not only the short or the or the long. I think that in the past, when I when I became uh, an entrepreneur in the early days, I was very long term driven, but I didn't pay too much attention to action, to right. short term, to. And then I was very good at long term and short term, but I was missing the mid term, where I think I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, fell is. What is the next year, the next three quarters, not only this quarter or the next three or five years? So it, what is in the middle? What are those key initiatives that we need yeah. to do? Be, do We need to execute this quarter to have results in three or four quarters. But if we don't execute them now, we will not have those um, results. So, yeah. And also, how, how do we combine the, the strategic mindset with a tactical mindset with operational mindset, which is kind of, of the same of the, of the short, mid and long term set in other words. So, yeah, I, I believe that we, because being an entrepreneur, that's, that's really that, right? So, and I also love that quote about, you know, going from defeat into defeat and, with that, without never losing the, the the enthusiasm, uh, and I think that that's that's the life of of the entrepreneur, and and sometimes this is the difficult part is we don't get to focus it on what happened in the past and do not believe that because it happened in the past this will happen in the future. But of course, mm. take the lessons learned and and hope for for a great future. Imagine a great future, but also with the confidence that. If if something bad happens, if there is a problem, there is a solution, right? So mm -hmm. we will find the solution. And if if we if we don't if we don't have the solution yet, the solution is available. It's because we don't have the competences or the skills or the network or we are not surrounded by the right people to help us solve the problem. But there is always a solution by definition when there is a problem, right? So so I think those kind of beliefs are, are really important for, for an entrepreneur to, to keep moving forward because as we know, especially the the early days until we find product market fits, those are really, really tough because we are still in the search mode. So I that's why I love so much more the the scaling up stage yeah. of business because at least there is a there, there is a solid rock uh, in the business that already works. It is mm -hmm. validated, right? So now we might need to add new geographies, add new products, add new segments, uh, 
add new verticals to, to the mix. And of course, we need to prove it all again. But at, at the same time, we already have a certain source of cash flow and profitability in the business that allow us to be a, a bit more uh, calmer with in, in terms of the growth of the company. Yeah. And I love what you said there, you know, being able to go from defeat to defeat to defeat, you know, quickly. And I, I agree with you. I think that I'll, I'll butcher the quote, but essentially it's, you know, you, you'll achieve success when you can shorten the gap between failures, right? And yeah. most people do not um, understand that it takes a certain modicum of failure to eventually achieve success. Now, in my mind, you don't fail unless you actually quit, right? So you're set, you're, you're meeting temporary defeat, but as long as you can overcome that temporary defeat, you will never be a failure. Right. And I think that's what you're saying is that temporary setback, temporary defeat, that's normal. Failing is when it's you part quit. of life. Yeah, it is. You know, we, we talk about um, regularly. I have two kids and when they were younger, um, you know, they'd start crying if they fell down or they fell off their bike. And I was like, okay, well, why do we fall? And, you know, of course my, my young one was really good at being a smart ass from a very early age because we're no good like no we're falling so we can learn how to get back up and do it again all right we're not falling down because you know we want to stop altogether we're falling the, the reason we fall is so we can learn how to get back up and i think that's so true of most entrepreneurs and the the ones that i see as the worst investment quite honestly are the ones who can't get back up right their their egos their pride is hit so hard and so bad right they don't know how to compartmentalize that and move forward it hits them emotionally and they can't just like tuck that away in a box and move on um because you know the other thing you said is that you want them to move on you know ceos have a responsibility a fiduciary responsibility to their staff to their vendors to their investors their shareholders um to make this thing work and you can't do that if you don't move on but you also don't want them to move on without learning lessons of the past right um, and I think that's a really important insight for a lot of people. So, you know, I, yeah, go ahead. No, there, there's a point that you made that I think when we started this this chapter of, the, of our conversation that I, I think it was really important uh, that I was just thinking that sometimes the biggest mistakes are made after a very successful first business, right? So right. The, the typical, let's say the typical journey of entrepreneurs is... They try multiple times and and the majority of them go away, give up, right? So the second, uh, let's say, type of, of entrepreneurs are the ones who are trying again and again. Sometimes they go work for others and they come back and they try again and, and there is something that will work. And then you have another uh, kind of entrepreneurs who, who try for the first time, they were there at the right timing, they knew the right people, uh, they were able to be super successful with their own first business, and they believe that they can apply the same methodology, the same framework to every single company. And that's yeah. when they fail dramatically in, in the second company. If you would know, the, maybe we can even talk about Elon Musk, right? So uh, yeah. he almost lost everything. It was really, really close to, to lose everything about the first successful companies that, that he had. I was just watching the documentary recently, uh, and, uh, and, and it's incredible to see. Uh, but yeah, that, that's the point I say. I think, I think it's also important to, and that's what life is about is to go through, uh, 
big wins and don't believe that we are the best in the world uh, because we will face a challenge sooner or later. That's part of life. And also don't go through defeats and make yourself feel that you are a failure, that you, yeah. you, you are worth you are not worth anything because you were not able to be to succeed with that business. Because I think the stat that is really important that I always share with every single CEO that I work with is only 4% of all companies get $1 million in revenue. Only 0.4% uh, get to 10 million and yeah. under 0.04% get 100 million, which shows that 96% of entrepreneurs will never get to 1 million in revenue, right? So, yep. so it shows how difficult it is and it, it is normal. Uh, and, and it takes an outlier mindset to be able to get to this first million, right? And to this first 10 millions in this first 100 millions. And these are the outliers. Let's, let's be uh, honest. So that's why I always say I'm, I'm super grateful for the opportunity that I have with my own businesses and with the businesses that trust me to to help them out and to be a, a member of the team in, in their success. And yeah, I, I had really the, the luck of being in, with, with the right teams and uh, at, at the right times to be able to have some of the successes and some of the failures that, that I had in my in my belt. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, so important to have those experiences as you're going through it and then surrounding yourself right, with the right team. And, and and I want to shift a little bit because you've had an exit of one of your businesses that you were the CEO of, and you guys also had an IPO that you went through. And so as you're scaling a company up, right, there's obviously investment capital that comes in at some point early on. And then the, the investment capital, you know, sometimes is an Achilles heel for a lot of companies, right? They just rely on that. And they think, okay, well, as long as I have a $100 million investment, I'll be fine, right? And I think it was Fast Inc. Or, uh, that that raised 120 or $115 million. I'll have to go back and look it up. And we're out of business like six months later, right? Um, and it, it's something that can happen. It doesn't happen very often because most of the time, money's a little bit smarter than that. But walk us through that journey of, you know, what it took to, let's start with the, the exit that you had, uh, I believe it was at the, you said you guys were acquired by a brand, by your biggest client at the branding agency, right? So what was that yeah. process like and how did that even come up? Yeah, I think, I think that that first exit was really very innocent on, on our side. It was really an opportunity that happened. We, we kept leading the business as if we were never sell the business and, and then the opportunity came and it mm -hmm. was the right timing both from me, both for, for the, the, let's say the chairman or the owner of, of the business. I was professional CEO uh, at the time and I was having leveraging the chance that the owner offered me to, to lead his, um, his business. So it was really a, a process of, you know, we were delivering amazing, uh, value to, to the customers. Uh, the team was, was happy and, and that customer believed that we could be a strategic asset and they wanted to internalize, um, the branding agency to be able to, you know, to offer services to, to the clients and even to start providing services to uh, other clients in, in the network. So in terms of, of the process, it was really back to basics, right? So, uh, ensure that your team is happy, ensure that you have processes that are scalable, uh, ensure that, that your customers are delighted 
have a strategy to to keep growing the the business and uh, and then the opportunity came and the conversation went well and uh, and we were able to to find a deal that was that made all the parties uh, happy in in the process right I mean, you just hit on some really important points that I think a lot of CEOs gloss over, um, which is you ran the business without an intention of exiting exiting it, but right. running the business in a way that you wanted it to perpetuate, right? You wanted it to live on, right. which in order for that to happen requires that long-term visionary mindset as well as the day-to-day operations, right? And as you said, there's a lot of pieces in between now. I have this, you know, I've just seen this. And so I have this opinion that there are roughly three different types of CEOs, right? There is the startup founder CEO who is the visionary that just loves the idea of the innovation and the new company and mm-hmm. growing this company. And just they're, they're really gung-ho about just taking this company to the moon, right? Then you have the second CEO that's more like the small business owner. They're more like a lifestyle business. They, they're not looking for... Uh, fame and you know all of that, the accolade. They're looking to run a business that is stable, secure. It makes them money. It gives them the lifestyle they want. We call these lifestyle entrepreneurs or lifestyle business owners, right? Yeah. And then you have the third. It's more like that corporate level CEO. They're the person yeah. that comes in to run a big organization, and they're not necessarily looking for any exit because there's already been you know it's already a public company or it's a really big company, and so they're really good at more of the the operational aspect and just staying a little bit ahead of the curve, but they're not necessarily the most innovative um, people out there. And I know that you work with a lot of CEOs. So I'm, I'm curious how that lines up with what you've seen and especially having gone through some exits and seeing different types of CEOs, how's that jive with what you do? That, that's really amazing. I, I think that in, it depends on the moment of, of my career, but I, I can identify myself with the free Profiles right. uh, that you that you just described in different moments. Maybe the the exit that we were talking about at my work in the branding agency. I was not the owner, but it was still uh, in a kind of mid-sized small business uh, arena, and we were kind of managing the business in that way, always reinvesting the profits, keep growing the business as we could, but not getting crazy in, term, in terms of growth, sometimes getting a bit more frustrated because we wanted more capital to reinvest in the business. So we needed right. to go through also the ups and downs of, of economy and of a services business that sometimes it's a bit more challenging to scale than a product business, right? So, but yeah, then when I started Scale Up Valley, I, I started working much more with the profile of the startup founder, right? So where typically the challenge is they just raised Series A, they had kind of one three million in revenue, and I wanted to help them to go from one to three to to ten million in revenue. And and, and later on, I would say the last five years of Scale Up Valley is much more the 10, 20, even today, 30, 50 million in, in revenue. And how do we help them to get to 100 million? Mm-hmm. So which are very different stages of growth uh, of the company, right? So going from one to five, I would say it's, it's one stage or zero to one, one stage, one to five, another stage, five to 10, another stage, 10 to 20, 25, another stage, 25 to 50, another stage, 50 to 100, another stage, 100 plus, that, that's where maybe I will go next or I will, or I will stay focused on my 10, 20 to 100 million range where mm-hmm. I've been in my last uh, 11 years with, with Skelet Valley. And, and typically my, my challenge is to make this startup founder become much more 
a kind of a corporate level CEO or a small right. business owner. Um, but something that I, that I learned over the years and I keep learning is some of them are more than prepared and they love to kind of transition themselves from the CEO 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, almost to something that I love. It was an article. I don't remember who was the CEO, but he said, I decided to fire myself this year and I, I wrote down, uh, you know, the, the job description of the CEO that we needed for next year. And then I, I, I made sure that I, that I qualified to become that CEO. And then I hired myself again as, as the, as the, as the chairman, right? So as the chairman, I fired myself. I wrote down the, the job description and then I, I make sure that the CEO, uh, had the skills to be ready to, and then I hired him again. And this was the same person, of course. Right, right. So, but, but I think it's, it's, it's a good exercise because we do this a lot to our VP sales, to our VP customer success, to our VP marketing, to our VP people, to our VP finance, VP product, whatever it is. But we, we never do for ourselves as entrepreneurs. And we also right. need to go from stage to stage. The, the other profile is sometimes you are so strong in, in the vision. You are so strong in the product or you are so strong in the sales, uh, muscle, which is, it's much more intelligence maybe to bring on a CEO that is quite strong in that corporate side of the business and to stay focused on, on your area of strengths in your area or on your zone of genius. Right. So, yep. um, and I, I think that that's where we, we are able to, to find those balances. Um, and nowadays it's curious because I see the trend that we are much more thinking as, as the small business owner, which is how can we generate enough profitability and cash flow that will allow us to invest in the future, but to not go crazy until we get them that proven, right? So mm. uh, it's kind of a combination of the small business owner profile with the corporate level CEO. And again, with the startup founder, which is much more a visionary, but a little bit more cautious than mm. the typically uh, startup founder. So in, in other words, I think that we are trying to find, uh, and, and I, I will end with this. And that's why I believe that, you know, the best CEOs are the ones who are able to build, to build the best leadership teams for the stage of growth they are in, because it's right. impossible to do all of this as one person. And the reality is this, sometimes we individualize the success too much, but it, it's always a result of, of a team effort. It's, it's always team success, right? So we all win as, as one and we all lose, um, as one. And if I would need to summarize all the work that I do is to make sure that we have the right people on the right seats with the right culture that enables them to be successful as a team instead of thinking that, for instance, VP sales is the best in the world if it's achieving quota and making the numbers that we all need at the leadership team. And, and the other day, the VP sales is the worst person in, in, in the world because we were not able to to achieve our our results uh, this quarter this is not typically uh, how a team should should work and we we see this uh, a lot of times that's why i like to say to ceos when a vp sales misses a quarter but we see that there is work ethic there are processes there are procedures there are systems there are effort, there are coaching, training of the team, and we know that it will succeed in, in the upcoming quarter, maybe the problem is not the, of the VP sales. Maybe the, pro, the problem is much more the market dynamics that we are not seeing, is the product that is not suitable to, to the market, something that happened in terms of, of the volatility of the market. And, 
And again, if we are just doing a finger pointing to the VP sales and we are not taking ownership of the results as a team, I think that we are not doing a, a good uh, job for, for our culture and for our future growth. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. And something you hit on, it's really important, right? There are these different types of CEOs and stages of the same CEO, right? Because yeah. you can't be that, you know, when you don't have a million dollars in revenue, you're wearing a lot of hats and you're being the visionary, you're being the executioner, you're being the marketing guy, you're being whatever it takes to really make the, the business grow. When you get to 10 million, hopefully you start to develop a C-suite around you that can help out. But we find that a lot of CEOs struggle with relinquishing control. Right? That's one of the biggest challenges they have, right? Is relinquishing control. I think the companies that we've seen succeed the most are the ones that are the best, like you said, building a great team around them. However, the caveat that you mentioned is the team has to be attuned to the stage of growth, right? So give us an example of, of what that means, right? You, you've had to go through an IPO. Um, it's not an easy process. Everybody dreams to do it, but sometimes it's not even that much fun, right? Um, but what was it like pre-IPO and post-IPO in this company for, for the C-suite team? Yeah. So typically after the IPO, I usually I, I leave the company. So I, I get closer to 100 million, I get them ready, and then I, I go away. So I would say much more. Uh, but I, I think that the same question applies to the different stages of growth of the company until they are ready for the, the IPO. And as we were saying, usually in the majority of the times, it is very difficult to have the same team leading the business from 10 to 25 or from 25 to 50 million in, in revenue. And I would even say more. 5 to 10 and 10 to 20, it's, it's, it's a different team as well. So if we are able to have 50% of the team move on to, to the next leadership team version and 50% of the team is recruited, I, I think this, this is a, a huge uh, success, right? And I, I think this is, again, really, really important to be honest with each other and to understand that some of us will, will face uh, a plateau or will not, will not be able to grow as quicker as the company needs. And then we need to be humble enough to recognize that or even to understand that maybe we are much more builders or early scalers, not late stage scalers or not corporate guys. Right. So we have so much more fun helping companies go from 10 to 20. That's why I was, I was telling you, maybe I will not expand from 100 million plus because I found my niche. That's where I where I have fun. I know that some of the principles that I apply to these companies might apply to much larger companies, and mm-hmm. I'm seeing this there more and more as as I get more and more invited. But yeah, do I have fun with the, with those kind of companies? That's what I need to figure out. Right. I know that I have fun at this stage, right? Because I already yeah, know what the, are the, the principles. Larger company that... can just be a drain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just, you know, it's like okay, now we're now we're politicking, and now we're arguing over yeah. things that. You know, at an early stage, it's exciting, right? Because you're like, okay, you know, what's the next opportunity? What's the next vertical? Like you were saying, we're, we're crossing that chasm, as they say. We're going from the early adopters to the early majority. And once you get into the, the late majority and you're just talking about taking a little bit more market share, you know, then it's, it, it does. It gets to be drudgery. I worked in a, a, a $55 billion per year company, um, you know, and that's, really made up of a whole bunch of $100 million per year companies, essentially, right? 
And if you can have that autonomy, it's a lot more fun. But but scaling up and trying to keep growing when you're already in the multiples of billions of dollars every single year, it's a very different beast than, like you said, going from 10 million to 100 million, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, Mike, we're about out of time here. I really appreciate your time. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about Scale Up Valley, how people can find you and how they can, can reach out to you and learn a little bit more about what you do? Sure. I just wanted to quickly share kind of the free critical ingredients of the framework that, that we have. I think this sure. would be also important connected to your um, previous um, pre- uh, the previous segments of the show, which is number one, it's ensuring that we have the right people on the right seats and, and the right leadership team in place to scale the business from one stage of growth to other stage of growth. Number two is we have a vision narrative that we have all written down together as a leadership team. And of course, also shared with the rest of the, of the team of the, uh, in the company. And the number three is the execution machine that we have the OKRs, that we have clarity of success and the meeting cadence to ensure that communication happens and that everyone is, is aligned. We know that cross-functional alignment is one of the most important pains to be addressed when the company starts to scale, especially in hypergrowth modes. But I would say there is not even we don't even need hypergrowth modes to to face those kind of pains after 100 people, 150 people, even 75 people. I would say even 50, uh, we start seeing a, a, a certain uh, disconnection. So uh, this is kind of my north star of methodology to to go through and to help companies to go from one stage to another and get ready for IPO. Kind of addressing also your question about um, what we need to do in order to be ready to create that. Uh, that wealth and, and to make the company ready to go to the next stage. In terms of me, I, I, I publish uh, on, on LinkedIn on a daily basis, uh, all concepts about scaling up. I uh, also have my, my own podcast on Scale Up Valley. And, um, and yeah, scaleupvalley.com. Uh, find me on, on LinkedIn uh, and, and listen to our podcast as well. And of course, keep listening to this amazing podcast with, with Jeff Barnes that I'm really uh, grateful to to be here today with you and, and congrats for the amazing work you do, Jeff. Awesome. Mike, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Uh, great interview. Really looking forward to you know collaborating more with you as well. So to everybody out there, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. This has been the Angels Exits and Acquisitions podcast with Jeff Barnes. And you have been listening to Mike Diaz with Scale Up Valley. We will see you on the next episode. As always, like, subscribe, and share. Thank you. Thank you.